Well, we are in a sermon series. If you've been with us for any amount of weeks, you know we're just settling into the series. We don't know how long it's going to last, but this is the diagram that we're working through, the story of the Bible from start to finish. And each week we're just doing a piece or a couple of pieces. And so the next slide that's going to come up is where we are As of today, what we're going to be talking about is the rebellion in heaven. We talked a little bit about that when we did the message on eternal life, but we're going to circle back to it because it's important to connect it to this idea of humankind and a comparative experience. So this is going to be what we're going to tackle tonight together. You you know, everybody's had someone come up to them and and said, I've got good news and bad news. Which one do you want first, right? And and, and you, you have this choice that that you've got to make. Well, I've got good news and bad news for you tonight. The bad news is that you and I are going to suffer some in this life. The good news is that you and I are going to suffer some in this life. It's it's the same news, and I think more often than not, we only think of it as bad news, but I'm hoping that tonight, when I get through this sermon, that you're going to agree with me that, yes, it is always bad news when we suffer. But sometimes that suffering is also good news for us as well because it changes us in ways that only suffering can. Listen to these verses. This is out of Isaiah 52, verse 7. It says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news, the good news of peace and salvation, the news that God of Israel reigns. Isaiah 61, 1 reads this way, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. This is both of these, are is Isaiah prophesying about the coming of Christ. The spirit of the Lord, the sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, and he has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. If you've read through the Gospels, you know that Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, when he stepped up to read in the synagogue, they handed him a scroll, and, and And providentially, this is the verse that was handed to him in declaring himself to be the Messiah. See, this idea of good news is not a uniquely New Testament concept. We we know that the good news is also what we call the gospel, right? The good news of Jesus. But I think sometimes we think that it, it it started in the New Testament, but it didn't. It started in the Old Testament. All throughout the Old Testament, you see the same phrases used. Why? Because all of the Old Testament... Genesis to Malachi is all saying the same thing. Jesus is coming, and it's good news. It's good news. The word gospel appears 20 times in the gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament are referred to as the gospels. Why are they called that? Because those four books focus on the good news of who Jesus is for us. And then 77 more times as you push through the rest of the New Testament, all the way through Revelation, 77 more times. This word gospel is given to us because in the original Greek, when the Bible was written, the word was euangelion. And it was first translated when they were translating the Bible into English. They took an old English word from God 
spell, which God means good and spell means news, and that's how we ended up with the word gospel that we have today. A little etymology there for our, all my fellow word nerds. Acts 20, 24 reads this way, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. Come on. Listen to what it is. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. You, You with me? That's one of the reasons why we're giving you these cards. All of us have assignments that God has given to us, and for each of us, those assignments might vary in different ways based on who we are, our giftings and our callings and our talents and abilities that God has put inside of us. But all of us share this one great task, is to bring the good news of the gospel to the world around us, the people that are within your reach. Revelation 14, 6 through 7 reads this way, And I saw another angel flying through the sky carrying the eternal good news to proclaim to the people who belong to this world, to every nation, tribe, language, and people, fear God, he shouted, give glory to him, for the time has come when he will sit as judge. Worship him who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all the springs of the water. See, the good news is called eternal for two reasons. One is because it gives us eternal life. We already did that sermon. But the other reason why it's called eternal is because until Jesus comes back, it will never not be good, and there will never be another source of eternal life other than the good news of Jesus Christ. He's the, it's why Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me in John 14. It is eternal because it is a message that brings eternal life and only through Jesus Christ alone. You might say, well, Fred, I, I, I get that. I understand that this idea of good news is about Jesus and the gospel. But how, why are you talking about the good news and, and you opened about suffering? And, and my answer to you is because I want to expand your definition of good tonight. Right? I, I'm, I'm, everything that I just said for many of you, I'm telling you things that you already believe. You already believe that the gospel is good news. You already believe in the good news that Jesus has come to save us. And, and, and what I want to do is I want you to take that belief that you have, that the gospel is good news, and what I want to challenge you is to stretch your definition of the gospel being good news to include some of the suffering that God is going to lead you into in this life. I'm going to teach you some phrases. If you've been a part of the church for any amount of time, you've heard these before. But the first one is this, an immunization revelation. That's some syllables right there. Immunization revelation. When I was a little boy growing up, I grew up in a little country town called Verina, just outside of Richmond in Henrico County. And we went to this little country Episcopal church called Verina Episcopal. And in the 70s, that there was this great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And if you're old like me, you might remember that. And, and it went into every mainline denomination. Pres- Presbyterian, Methodist, Baptist, Episcopal, Catholic. It went everywhere. And, and people began to experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And these little pockets of, of, of believers because it wasn't necessarily an experience that was embraced by the church that they were in, they began to find each other. And the same thing happened in this little community where I grew up, and I, I, I grew up in people's homes. We, we stayed in our church, but, but then we were in homes with other people who were experiencing something similar. Some of them went to the 
Presbyterian church in Verona. Some went to the Methodist church. Some went to the Baptist church. But they all began to get together to worship and study the Bible together. It was beautiful. And one of the families where we went were, was the Whitlow family. And Mr. Whitlow was in a wheelchair because he suffered from polio when he was a child. He had this incredible workshop in his garage and everything had been rebuilt so that he could reach it. And he did all this woodworking and, and carving. It was incredible, the craftsman that he was. But I dare say that all of us here tonight, that there's nobody that we know in our life today that's in a wheelchair because of polio. Right? And there's a reason for that. Because we get a vaccine. Now, I'm not getting political, so don't get nervous. We're not talking about COVID tonight. Just for all these people that were like, hey, didn't know what I was walking into. That's not what we're talking about. In 1955, a vaccine was introduced to prevent this terrible disease. It's a virus that can be deadly, often attacking the brain and spinal cord, leading to paralysis. This, de this definition is important. Immunization is the process whereby a person is made immune or resistant to an infectious disease, typically by the administration of a vaccine. And we understand how this works, right? In our modern world that we live in today, vaccines are a way to stimulate the body's own immune system to protect a person against subsequent infection or diseases by introducing safe levels and so forth and so on. If this is foreign to you, then you've never seen the movie World War Z. Come on. So good. Just making sure you're awake. Thank you, Alice. Or if you've just been alive for the last two years. Are you with me? We, we've been inundated with the conversation about vaccines and, and how they work. And regardless of what you believe about this one or that one, we all share a common belief about how vaccines work in our biology. What I want to suggest to you tonight is that there's also a vaccine that can touch a deeper part of who we are, our immaterial self. My first real job was at the Christian Children's Fund, which is now called Child Fund. When I got out of college, it's an international child sponsorship agency. I worked there for five years. And one of the most sad realities that I began to discover there is that children died from preventable diseases all over the world. I was at a banquet just this week for some of you were there for Channel to Brazil for Christ. It's going to be a new ministry partner. We're going to be talking about that in the weeks to come. I was inspired by the founder there and their story. And one of the things that they talked about is how many children still die on the streets in Brazil from preventable disease. Preventable disease. Preventable disease. Because of a lack of access to vaccines. Listen to the statistic. An estimated 18.7 million infants worldwide are still not being reached by routine immunization services. 18.7 million. And an estimated, listen to this, an estimated 1.5 million of those children die. Yeah. It's, it's one of the reasons why we're doing missions in some of the areas of the world that we're doing missions. To bring the gospel to also meet practical needs. But I'm talking about that again because I want you to keep hearing me talk about some things that I know you already agree with and that you already believe in because you can take that thing that you believe and then all of a sudden you can realize that it just is true for something over here maybe that you've not thought of before. This is my next phrase I want to teach you tonight. It's called the virology of humanity. The virology of humanity. Let's talk about Lucifer, the devil, 
Satan, where he comes from. We believe that he's real. He's not some cartoon character. That we have an enemy. The Bible calls him the enemy of our soul. Listen to this in Revelation 12, 7 and 9. reads this way. Then there was a war in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels, and the dragon lost the battle. And he is his, and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent, called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to earth with all his angels. So this is the biblical historical record that we have, that before this world was created, before Genesis 1-1, right? We, we pick up the Bible and Genesis 1-1 is the beginning of our story, but it's not the beginning of the story. There was a story in the universe prior to Genesis 1-1, and the Bible points to it at various times, and this is one. At some point, prior to creation, there was a, a rebellion, a civil war in heaven. And Lucifer convinced many angels to join his rebellion. Listen to Luke 10-18. This is Jesus talking. He says, yes, he told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Listen to this verse in Ezekiel 28, 14. Gives us a little bit of insight on how that came to be. I ordained and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. You had access to the holy mountain of God and walked among the stones of fire. We, we have this picture where God is saying, I made you and I made you for a purpose. And then as we read into Isaiah, what we're going to find is that purpose that he had been given became the source of his pride in the seat of his rebellion. Isaiah 14, 12 through 14 reads this way, How you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. You have been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For, listen to what it says. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's, and I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest of heavens and be like the most high. How is it possible for someone to be in a perfect place? How is it possible for these angelic beings to be in a place of paradise, a place where there is nothing that separates them from the fullness of God's glory? Right? Everything that we believe that we're going to one day see if we've made a vow of devotion to Christ, they had in the beginning of time. They were in heaven with God and everything was just as perfect then as it will be for us with the new heaven and the new earth. How is it possible? How do you rebel against the glory of God? How do you risk all of that? I believe Satan was vulnerable to rebellion because he never had what I call a comparative experience. It's why this idea is part of the story card in the video that you saw. He never had a comparative experience. His heart was vulnerable to rebellion. I don't know if you remember back in 2013, there was a young man by the name of Ethan Crouch. In 2013, he got in his vehicle inebriated and he killed four people tragically. Four people. The sentence he received, if you read the story, is mind-boggling. If, if you go online and pull that up, not now, but after church, and, and, and you read it, you'll be, how is it possible that he only served that amount of time? It's because his, 
his attorneys presented a case that he was a victim of a new term that they created called affluenza. It means that because he grew up in such an affluent home and in an affluent culture and society amongst the circle that his family traveled in, that he never had the opportunity to learn right from wrong. It's crazy, isn't it? But it was true. Affluenza is defined as the inability to understand the consequences of one's actions because of privilege. See, I think, I think, this is just my beliefs, I'm sharing them with you. I think after that rebellion in heaven, I think that's the moment where God decided to make you and I. I think he resolved in his heart that he was going to create a new kind of being. I think God's always been creating. And I think once we get to heaven, he's going to keep creating. It's the nature of who he is, and we're going to be a part of it. And I think in that moment, after that rebellion, that he resolved in his heart that he was going to create a new kind of creature. But he wasn't going to create us there. He was going to create us here. He was going to create us outside of a perfect place. Now he put us in a perfect place with Eden. You're going to have to keep coming if you want that sermon because we're going to delve into that too. But he put him in a perfect place because he wanted to see, even though he knew what was going to happen, right? It was as though all of the detractors, maybe there were people in heaven that weren't quite sure whether or not God was, 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 was right in his prediction. It was like he said, I'm just going to show you how easily it happens. Puts him in a perfect place. Adam and Eve, they too did not have a comparative experience. See, when perfection is all that you know, when paradise is all that you've ever had, you don't realize how glorious it is. I think it was in that moment that he decided to create this world and he put us in it. See, this is what I'm sharing with you tonight, that we aren't ready for the glory of heaven until we have endured this life because after we have suffered here, we will never want anything else but the glory that awaits us there. That's what I believe. I believe that when you and I, when we leave this world and step into paradise, we're going to bring to heaven with us, as others who have gone before us are going to bring, we bring something incredibly unique that no other creature in heaven has. Creatures in heaven have seen it play out here on earth, but it's one thing to watch it, it's something else to live it. And we're going to bring into that perfect place a comparative experience. We're going to bring into that paradise a reality that we will know what it's like to be separated from God. And for all eternity, we'll always remember what it was like here. And we will never want to do anything that risks us being there. See this slide that's going to pop back up that we're working through. There's a reason why heaven bookends it at the top. I think a lot of people get sideways in their belief systems because they try to understand everything outside of this earth from an earthly viewpoint. But you can't do that. Because there was a story that existed before earth, and there's a story that's going to keep going after. And the Bible gives us a glimpse into each of those. Something begins to change in our understanding of this earthly experience when we stop trying to look at it from an earthly point of view and we start looking at the whole story in its entirety. 
When we begin to look at what the Bible says before earth and we look at what the Bible says after earth, it gives us an entirely fresh perspective on what this earthly journey is about. I think God is giving us the most important vaccination that you and I are ever going to have. It's a vaccination of the eternal part of who we are. If heaven was susceptible to rebellion then, I believe it's susceptible to rebellion forever. Why do I believe that? Because God gives us free will. If not, it's about control, right? If not, it's, it's, God always gives us a choice. This is part of what perfect love looks like. And so not only has he given us a choice, he's given us the experience of something less than paradise so that something inside of us will always remember what it was like to be separated from him. Now let me share with you these verses. And it might be that you've read some of these verses before. And I don't think this belief that I have is new to me. I think the early church shared in it, which is why you see repeatedly so many of these verses written this way. Listen to this. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say be thankful for just the good circumstances. It doesn't say just be thankful for the top three on your list that God fulfilled. Right? Paul said, no, no, no. Be thankful for every circumstance. And when you study the life of Paul, he had some circumstance. He's a credible messenger. Listen to James 1, 2 through 4. Says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind, of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. And when your endurance is fully developed, you will be per perfect and complete, needing nothing. Suffering completes us in a way that nothing else can. Listen to Matthew 5, 10 through 12. This is Jesus himself talking. He says, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Stop it. Your Bible says the same thing mine does. He doesn't say just suffer through. Tomorrow's going to be better. He says, no, no, no. Be happy about it. Be very glad. He doubles down. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. You know what I think part of what he's talking about there? I think he's talking about the reward of the comparative experience. And remember the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. One more, 1 Peter 4, 12 to 13, and then verse 19. Listen, this is Peter again. It says, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. Verse 19 says, so if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God. Now, why is that a distinction? I'm including that because I don't think we get any credit for the suffering that comes to us in this life because of our own foolishness. You're tracking with me? Now, that's a lesson learned unto itself. That's a lesson learned unto itself. But this is why this clarifier is in here by Peter. He said, when you're suffering in a manner that pleases God, there's all kinds of suffering that's going to come our way that's not because of anything that we did. 
it's because we live in a broken world. And that broken world is one of God's greatest gifts to us because of the comparative experience that it offers. I think it was God's plan from the beginning. Keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to the God who created you for he will never fail you. God is making us ready for the forever that we were born to live. Let me read that again. God is making us ready for the forever that we were born to live. At some point in this series, we're going to dig around in the story of the Garden of Eden. Because I think for many of us, we've grown up. You've heard me say this before. We, 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 we went to church when we were children. We, we simplify the story of the Bible for children so it's digestible and understandable. But, but at some point, our understanding has to mature. So a lot of us, we're, we are grown-ups, we're adults, but our understanding of the Bible has never gotten out of kids' church. And, and so if that's true, we're locked into this, this idea, this perception that God created this perfect place for Adam and Eve, and they just mucked it all up. And, and then because of that, it set things into motion. I don't believe that about God. I, don't, I can't reconcile that with my belief in the sovereignty of God. I think God knew all that was going to happen. I think there's a reason why he put the tree. It's interesting what it's called. Have you ever thought about that? It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's the tree of the comparative experience. You, you tell me, how many of you take cleaning supplies that are poisonous for your children and puts them in the middle of the playroom and says to the children, I don't want you to play with that. I'm going to go over here and do some things. Hey, who, nobody does that. When, when you're a new parent, there's a whole world of childproofing, right? Locks for cabinets and doorknobs. And, and even when someone invites you to go over there for the first time, you're thinking to yourself, is their home childproof? Are the outlets covered? Right, because we understand we want to put our kids in a safe environment. Have you ever stopped to think that in this perfect place that God created us, you know what he put there? He put something that they weren't supposed to have. The tree with the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Because I think that tree, even though it has led to great tragedy, has been a great gift for humanity, which was part of God's plan from the beginning, to give us the gift of a comparative experience. It changes when you begin to think of this life as being awake in the womb. Because God's plan is for us to be born into heaven forever with him. And this life, however many years he gives us, however many years he gives us, is about making us ready for the glory that is waiting for us there. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. So I've got good news and bad news for you tonight. The bad news is that some of you came in here tonight or you might be watching online from somewhere around the world and that heaven is not waiting for you when you breathe your last breath. That's bad news. The good news is, the good news is that can change for you tonight. Like it changed for all of us at some point in our lives. 
like it did for me in 1990 when I was 23 years old and I was in my 1984 Honda Prelude. You've heard me reference these details so many times before down La Burnham Avenue in Richmond, Virginia, passing by Eastgate Mall. And that was the moment in my life where I made a vow of devotion to Christ. As you look back into the story of your life, if you can't find a moment like that, then maybe there isn't a moment like that. And maybe heaven is not waiting for you. And what we're saying to you tonight is that it can be that you can live the rest of your life with a hope and an expectation of knowing what's waiting for you after this life is finished. Listen to Matthew 7, 13 and 14 reads this way. Matthew 7, 13 and 14, it says, You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few will ever find it. Would you just stand with me? If you've ever traveled, especially in a foreign country, you know that you go through certain checkpoints. You, you've got to have all the credentials that you're supposed to have to be able to pass through that gate, right? And if you've been in some countries, it's not just hap- it doesn't just happen at the airport. In, in the country itself, there will be places where you, if you want to get somewhere, you, you've got to present certain credentials. There, there's a checkpoint. There's a checkpoint for heaven. And the credentials are Jesus Christ. It's him. And what we bring to that moment is a story. Is that some point in our journey that we made a vow of devotion to him. And in that moment, the Bible says we're born into his family. I love that language because it says to you and to me that there's an acceptance that we find when we take that step. Because deep inside of us, there is a longing inside of our soul to be accepted and to be loved unconditionally. And as much as we can do that for each other as best we can, it will never come close to the kind of love and acceptance that God gives to us. This this idea of knowing God and being known by Him is your greatest hunger and it's your greatest thirst. It's your greatest hunger and it's your greatest thirst. So I'm just asking you tonight, Whether you're here or online, look back into your story. And if you can't find a moment, then let it be that when someone asks you that question in your tomorrows, that the moment you found was today, was today. If you're watching online, there's people that are there. You can click a button for prayer. One of our hosts will take you into a private room. At the end of this service, I'm going to come back up at the end of the song and close. But after that, there's going to be some of us down here at the front to pray for you. I'm just saying to you, I'm just saying, let today be the day that your story begins, the story of being rescued. Father, I pray for every person that's here. For the person that is standing in this room and there's a, an ache and a longing deep inside of them and, and maybe they've never really truly understood what that is and where it came from and maybe they're figuring it all out tonight. Because there's a journey with you, Jesus, that they've yet to begin. 
that the good news of the gospel is something that they've heard of, but never something that they've taken hold of. And I pray they would take hold of it tonight. I pray for the people that are in this room tonight and watching online, and that this conversation about suffering and hardship is, is not a theological discussion for them. It's, it's everyday present for them. I pray, Father, that there would be an incredible gift of strength that you would give to them. I pray that you would help them to bear up under this season that they're in, knowing that a better season is waiting for them in their tomorrows. I pray that they would discover that great promise of Psalm 23 that says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because you are with me. I pray that in this season of suffering, in this season of hardship, that they're going to have an incredible sense of your presence. And I pray that you're going to bring people, just like we talked about reaching out to families that have children with unique needs. I pray that there's some families here watching online, they're in a season of hardship, that people are going to start to reach out to them. Not, not because they heard this message, people that aren't even here, that, that your Holy Spirit is just going to move people to them to help bear up that burden for them. Help us to carry the suffering that you have given to us. Make us ready for the glory that you promise. In Jesus' name, come on, let's worship together.